good evening, little masters, and welcome to episode 149 of the Prancing Pony podcast, where Elrond has yet to reward us for our cheek. Condemned to go on this hopeless journey of a podcast? No, <laughs> not really. But folks, go ahead and pull up a bench. It sounded much more bleak than I wanted it to. Didn't that's it? Okay. Boy, you're not but kidding. That was depressing. It did, yeah. But let's leave it there, because I like it. Sure. Folks, course. go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room, and we'll be right there. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who agrees that there should be someone with intelligence in the party, Alan Sisto. Yes, but who that is, I am not saying. Mm, nothing's decided yet, even if we've been shut up for hours discussing it. But now, to start the new year off right, we have an announcement. Alan? Today we're going to start by introducing you to something new that we are excited to participate in and that we think you're going to love. We're here today with Luke Shelton, a Tolkien researcher whom we've known for a few years now. Uh, we first met Luke at MythMoot 5 back in 2018 and got a chance to spend some time with him again and do a quick video interview with him back at Tolkien 2019. For more than a year and a half, Luke Shelton's Tolkien Experience Project has been online at his website, luke-shelton.com, collecting stories from scholars and fans and giving us a place to share our stories and bond over our experiences of Tolkien's work. Now, both Alan and I contributed our stories to the Tolkien Experience Project a little over a year ago, and it's mm -hmm. been a great community to be a part of. Yes, it has. And now we are excited to announce that we'll be partnering with Luke on his latest project, the newest addition to the Tolkien podcasting family, the Tolkien Experience Podcast. Now, the Tolkien Experience Podcast is an attempt to bring the fan and scholarly communities together around our shared passion, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Each episode features a notable scholar or a member of the fan community sharing their responses to the original Tolkien Experience Project questions. It's the only podcast where you're going to be able to hear the voices of some of the world's most recognizable Tolkien scholars and fan community leaders as they share their personal experience with Tolkien. And we want to give him a chance to talk about it now. So, Luke Shelton, welcome to the Prancing Pony Podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We're glad to have you. We really are glad to have you. And... Luke, you've heard the show before, so you know that anytime we have a guest on, we like to hear a little bit about their personal story about discovering Tolkien. Due to the nature of your project, I feel like we need to give you at least a little chance to share your story. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first encountered J.R.R. Tolkien's work? Yeah, well, it's something that's been a lifelong passion for me, and I can't really remember when I first read Tolkien. My first memory is that there was a storyteller coming to my elementary school to recite chapters of The Hobbit in installments. And I remember sitting there and listening, waiting for him to mess up so I could correct him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, that man. sounds about right. It's been a passion for me for a long time, and it's something that I really delight in now allowing other people to share their stories as mm. well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, and that has been a, a really neat thing to see. So speaking of that, tell us a little bit about the original Tolkien Experience Project, which you launched back in May of 2018, and how that grew out of your academic research. Well, I had started my PhD just a few months before that, and the PhD focused on the ways that readers under the age of 18 respond to The Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But I found when I was going around and trying to get participants that all of the adults I talked to said, what can I do? <laughs> and, <laughs> That's right. Instead of saying, well, nothing, I, I decided I probably <laughs> needed to put something together. Okay. That's great. So then my idea was, let's have a space where people of any age could really share their story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
That's so cool, man. Yeah, it is one of those things. Tolkien fans love to to talk about their experiences and oh, yeah. share their stories. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And now you've decided to add a podcast, which we're really happy to be working with you on. What are you hoping to accomplish with the new format? And what kind of sparked the decision to do so now? As much as I know that all Tolkien fans love reading, because that's what our shared passion is. Right. Mm-hmm. I realize that not everyone can really appreciate the Tolkien Experience project because it's text-based. Mm-hmm. And so what yeah. I wanted to do was give other people the ability to hear these stories, particularly from names they might recognize in the Tolkien community, mm-hmm. and really kind of show how even those people that we respect and we revere and we kind of put up on a pedestal because of their work or their interaction mm-hmm. have a very similar fan experience to most of us in the way mm, that yeah, they yeah. first found the work or the way that they respond to it. Yeah. And so it's really an effort to not only broaden the audience of the project, but really to have a more intimate way to share these stories that bring us all together. Yeah, that's going to be great. Looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Absolutely. Now, how is the Tolkien Experience podcast going to be different from the existing Tolkien Experience project website? You mentioned just a moment ago scholars and fan community leaders as a focus. So is that going to be the only difference? Will there be something else? And maybe in what ways will they be the same? So they are going to be very similar in that they're going to be focused around the same questions. Okay. The okay. basic interview will follow the same pattern as the text project, but because it's an audio format, it allows for them to be more conversational. Mm, yes. And so while most people are really hesitant to really type full paragraphs on the text project, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> it really has been a pleasure in the interviews that I've been doing to be able to ask follow-up questions and to dig a little yeah, deeper than I can yeah. in the text-based yeah. project. That makes sense. And so that's probably the largest difference. Okay. And you're not the only one doing the interviewing, right? I know uh, Dr. Sarah Brown, who some of our listeners may know from her work with Signum University, Mm -hmm. she's going to be joining you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how the two of you are going to partner on this. Absolutely. I am so excited that she decided to come on board with me because I have been a fan of hers since I was in one of her Signum classes. Mm. And just her quick wit and her brilliance, I think it is going to add a lot to the project. So we're going to kind of try and take it in turns to conduct the interviews to give a pretty balanced feel for the two of us as different interviewers. So are, are you thinking maybe taking turns with episodes or uh, sharing the, the interview for a particular episode? How do you plan to do that? We plan to have a shared intro and outro where we're both there together, but then we'll take turns in our actual interviews. And that really just helps with kind of scheduling and giving a, a yeah. pretty balanced feel to the podcast sure. overall. Yeah, we know nothing of having to schedule different time zones with different <laughs> guests and how difficult that can be. None of that is uh, in our no, experience. Never, <laughs> ever been a challenge. Well, yeah. speaking of scheduling guests, can you tell us any of the guests that you already have lined up? Absolutely. I have already spoken with Dr. Dimitra Femi, who I know you guys had on. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And that was a great conversation. Um, I've also spoken with uh, Janet Brennan-Croft, who edits Mm. uh, the Mythopaic Society's journal. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the one I just finished is an interview with Corey Olson, which I think is going to be kind of a double-length special episode. (laughs) Anything with Corey is always a double-length something, yeah. Isn't it, though? That's true. Quite true. That's great. Well, and the first episode is out now, isn't it? It was released on January 3rd, Professor Tolkien's birthday. Mm -hmm. So how often can listeners expect a new episode of the Tolkien Experience podcast? 
Our goal is to have a new episode out every other Friday. Okay, great. Fantastic stuff, Luke. Thank you. Well, listeners, as we said, that first episode with Dimitra Femi is up now. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. It should be up in every place you might get your podcast by now. Just search for the Tolkien Experience Podcast. And if you're looking for it and can't find it, just let us know. Yeah, we'll have links and information up on all of our online spaces, too, as well as on our website. And you can also find out more at the website for the Tolkien Experience Podcast, TolkienExperience.com. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode, and please leave a review on iTunes. Just like we always say about this show, the more reviews we get on the Tolkien Experience Podcast, the more visible it'll be. That'll help others find it and this great community of Tolkien fans that is growing. And with that, we return you to our podcast already in progress. Now, before we begin, I think we might still have time for a Tolkien fun fact. What do you think, Alan? You know, I hope so, because it's been a long time since we've had one of these. It has. Yeah, it's been a really long time. I mean, I think what mm-hmm. happened with that is folks may realize it's it's our oldest intro segment. And so true, true. we've covered a lot of like the big ones that we think about all mm-hmm. the time. But every once in a while, I'm reminded of something pretty great, and I put it on the list, and that's what happened right. here. Hat tip to user Selkis89 on our subreddit. That's r slash Prancing Pony Pod, the newest common room on the internet. That's right. Selkis89 posted a picture on our subreddit a few weeks ago that put this one back in my head. And Alan, you're a collector, so you might know this mm-hmm. already, but folks out there may not know that the reigning queen of Denmark is a Tolkien fan. Indeed. I did know that. Yeah, I thought you might, but I'm going to tell you again anyway. So, <laughs> well, probably a good idea. I forget things. <laughs> Her Majesty Queen Magreta II has ruled Denmark since January 14, 1972. But back in 1970, when she was just Princess Magreta, she read The Lord of the Rings and wrote a letter to Professor Tolkien about how much she enjoyed it. She said, I am writing this letter because I would like to tell you how much pleasure I have derived from it. It is no exaggeration to say that I have been reading it ever since. Now, this letter is actually pictured in the catalog to the Tolkien Maker of Middle-Earth exhibit that's written by Mm -hmm. Catherine McElwain, along with something else. That's right. I remember this from seeing the exhibit at the Bodleian. Now, this wasn't a letter from some, you know, underage childhood fan. Princess Magreta was 30 years old and an illustrator. She sent copies of some illustrations that she'd done for different chapters of the book, one for the Old Forest, one for the Bridge of Khazad-dûm, one for Lothlorien. That's right. And even though I missed the exhibit, and I have been kicking myself for it ever since. Can I kick you as well? Yes, you may, please. Okay, good. (laughs) I've actually seen those illustrations too, because they're reproduced in the catalog. So seriously, folks, if you don't have the catalog already, go buy it. It's it's an amazing book. Brilliant, brilliant book. Yeah. But according to the text in the catalog, Tolkien was charmed by the illustrations and wrote in a draft reply, At times I have been struck by a resemblance between them and attempts of my own, unpublished, but more often by their unexpectedness, as if the story and the landscapes were independently real, but viewed by a different eye. Mm. Well, Tolkien and Her Royal Highness continued to correspond and to exchange illustrations over the next two years. Tolkien even received a Christmas card from the princess in 1971. And the 1977 Folio Society edition of The Lord of the Rings includes some of her illustrations, attributed to the pseudonym Ingehild Grathmer and redrawn by Eric Fraser. That's right. So if you have that edition, don't hold your breath trying to track down the illustrator, Miss Grathmer, for a signature. She might not be that easy to get in touch with no. sitting on the throne of Denmark. Well, yeah, and she might be a bit busy, too, for that matter. Yeah. But now let's get back to the book, because we are all about the books here at the Prancing Pony Podcast. Yeah, you folks know this. We bring you other Tolkien stuff from time to time, but at heart, 
Alan and I are fans of Tolkien's books and books about Tolkien. That's our passion. Yeah. And as you know, we read a lot of books in preparation for this show every week. And if you'd like to get your hands on a book we've mentioned, you're going to want to check out the official library page of our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. There we have links to every book we've mentioned on the show. And there's a lot of other stuff on our website, too. Show notes and book links specific to each episode, Mm -hmm. outtakes, Prancing Pony ponderings, and a few other little extras. Mm -hmm. You'll also find a link to our new online storefront at teespring.com slash stores slash PPP, where you can find shirts, mugs, stickers, and other great PPP gear. So please check that out. And now let's get this journey started and take the ring south. All right. As usual, we're going to start right at, or else, the very beginning, because it is a good place to start. I'm going to go ahead and read the first few paragraphs. The Council of the Hobbits here. This is the uh, the, the short version of the Council of Elrond. <laughs> so, short in many ways. In so many ways, that's correct. <laughs> Later that day, the hobbits held a meeting of their own in Bilbo's room. Merry and Pippin were indignant when they heard that Sam had crept into the council and had been chosen as Frodo's companion. It's most unfair, said Pippin. Instead of throwing him out and clapping him in chains, Elrond goes and rewards him for his cheek. Rewards, said Frodo. I can't imagine a more severe punishment. You are not thinking what you are saying. Condemned to go on this hopeless journey, a reward? Yesterday I dreamed that my task was done and I could rest here, a long while, perhaps for good. I don't wonder, said Mary, and I wish you could, but we're envying Sam, not you. If you have to go, then it'll be a punishment for any of us to be left behind, even in Rivendell. We've come a long way with you and been through some stiff times. We want to go on. That's what I meant, said Pippin. We hobbits ought to stick together, and we will. I shall go unless they chain me up. There must be someone with intelligence in the party. And you certainly would not be chosen, Peregrine Took. There we go. Oh, there's an insult. Gandalf must be here. Uh, always, <laughs> man. If you hear the sound of Peregrine Took being abused in a way <laughs> that he barely deserves, <laughs> it must be Gandalf. Gandalf must be around somewhere. Oh, goodness. Well, so we get indignation. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, um, shall we say, ill-informed reaction to this decision. Yeah, yeah, because anybody who's read the last, what, 30 pages of the Council of Elrond would know mm-hmm. that this this is not a reward. Sending Sam with Frodo no, is not a reward. No. Going on this quest is not, like... It's a terrifying fate. It's yes. a terrifying, awful thing. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like they they actually get it more than they seem to get it, don't they? They do. I mean, we'll, we'll see later what Gandalf says is basically, no, they really don't have a clue, but even if they did, they'd still want to go. Yeah. And I think that's really what we're getting at here is that. Yeah. They don't, they know it's not going to be a joyride. They know it's not going to no, be a, no. it's not going to be a Caribbean cruise. No. And they don't like the idea of Frodo going on his own without them. That's the whole point. It's like, look, it's not like we're looking forward to this journey. It's that we can't imagine being here without you. Right. We've been through so much together. We feel like we need to stick together. We hobbits stick together. Even uh, here. We, we even, see that again even later. We, yeah. Even if we were to stay here in Rivendell, we don't want to be there. We'd rather be with you. That's that right. says something. That's, that's Boy, strong that's, fellowship. I mean, Rivendell. You have an option of staying in Rivendell. An, an option. That's precisely what Elrond wants them to do for a little while at least before they right. go back before to sending them the, back uh, home. Yeah. The Shire, but boy. Yeah. Definitely uh, Hobbit sticking together. We'll see that again later, won't we? Bilbo yeah. says something like that to Frodo yeah, later on in the chapter. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about Frodo's reaction. I mean, he's, the, the yeah. language that he uses to clarify just oh, how much of a joyride this isn't. Pretty serious stuff. Condemned. Yeah. Hopeless. Hopeless. Severe severe punishment. punishment. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, the language that he uses really kind of shows 
just how much he doesn't want to do this. Yeah. And yeah. that shows us really the extent of his sacrifice because of how willingly mm -hmm. he, he volunteered for this. Yeah, he knows full well. He knows certainly more than any of these three how yeah. difficult this is going to be. Yeah. Sam may have been there, but he's Sam, so he's not going to quite grasp it the way Frodo does. And Mary right. Pippin not being there at all certainly won't have a handle on, on just how difficult this task is going to be. Right. <laughs> then you get Pippin's silly comment about intelligence in the party. I mean, that is a softball right there. Because even if Gandalf <laughs> didn't knock that out of the park, you can just imagine Sam saying something. Sure, or Mary, yeah. at least. Or Mary or Frodo. Yep. I mean, any one of them. Really? Anybody. Yeah. I mean, that is such a softball right down the middle. You set me up with something like that, Sean, and I am going to make you look silly. It's I, true. I think, it, I think you should. Yeah. And vice versa for that. If, if I leave you open like that. Yeah. And I would Please expect do. the same. Yeah. Kick you while you're down. <laughs> yeah, what what is he what is he on about when he says it? There must be someone with intelligence in the party. I mean, how serious I know. is he? Is really? he trying to imply that none of the other hobbits have any intelligence and he's the only one who's smart? Right. I don't because know. so far we know Frodo's been chosen and Sam's been chosen. That's all anybody right. knows. So yep, he's, that's all we got. He's implying <laughs> he's implying that Frodo and either, Sam are not either intelligent. He's burning Sam harshly. <laughs> really harshly. And yeah, or he's also implying that Frodo has no intelligence. Right, which, come on. <laughs> Pippin getting his digs in and just yeah. in doing so, setting but himself you know, up for it takes me right back to like. takes me right back to the very first chapter, you know, and the way these guys mm -hmm. used to just, you know, just, oh, yeah. just rib Poke each, other, each other all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I love that humor that we get. Mm -hmm. Indicative of, you know, close friendship sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Because you, you don't do that to people you just count as acquaintances. Right. You know. It's true. You do that with somebody you're close with, somebody you feel really comfortable mm -hmm. with. And somebody you somebody know isn't going to take it personally and be yeah. deeply hurt. And yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Gandalf, on the other hand, doesn't care, I don't think. No, I'm just <laughs> I think he only Gandalf, because he loves Pippin, but still. Gandalf takes every opportunity to, to cut Pippin he down. Does. What, he you, really you said, does. You said you think it's because he really loves Pippin? I think he does. I think we see some of that, a very protective sort of... Um, Certainly later on in the incident with the um, Palantir, you know. Yeah, yeah, you see, yeah, that's true. You see some of that. I think Sometimes maybe, maybe I wonder, love is a little bit strong, but a little bit of protection. Like, you know, this is, he's the youngest one of the group. Yeah. Uh, Gandalf is, you know, trying to keep him humble, trying to help, you know, remind him that <laughs> maybe he's not all that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, I, think I don't cares. want to imply that Gandalf does not, that this does not all come from a place of, of love and affection for Pippin. I know yeah, it does yeah. because that's, that is that's where it goes is, in the really. end. That's the, yeah. Gandalf yeah. is protective in the end. At the same time, he constantly underestimates. Oh, I know all the time. <laughs> and yeah, and right. I guess really at does. first he's usually right, you know, because yeah, Pippin yeah. does take a while to come into his own. Mm -hmm. He does grow, but it's not for a while. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. So they've learned that they haven't, there haven't actually been any decisions yet. Right, right. Uh, I mean, we're not going to read all of that. slower than right. Ents making a decision. Seriously, this is an Ent moot mm -hmm. that's really even slower than an Ent moot. Uh, I mean, you were in there for hours and you didn't decide anything other than these two are going. I love right. what Bilbo says, basically. Well, you know, I mean, truth is it was just a lore dump, really. But Gandalf <laughs> was surprised. Again, I was like, no, no, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, no, I was surprised. You were wrong and you were inattentive. I mean, he's slamming Bilbo now too. And if Gandalf was surprised, you know, he wasn't going to admit it. Of course he wouldn't. He could have been absolutely surprised and been, yeah. no, of course I wasn't. I'm never surprised. No, I knew the all of that The wizard is stuff. never surprised. He knows exactly what he means to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
No, I knew all of it. What was the most surprising thing to you? Yeah. That's right. Guy here told me. I'm the only one who wasn't surprised. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so the only decision made by the council is just that Frodo and Sam are going to go try to destroy the ring. Yeah. You know, we mentioned in our, our P5 to episode 146 that Gandalf knew this was the best thing to do all the way back since book one, chapter two, the um, Shadow of the Past. Right. And then he must have talked to Elrond. We think that maybe kind of underlying all this, this stuff about the council was because Gandalf and Elrond already knew that's what needed to be done, the purpose of the council was simply just to get everybody else on board. Or at least a purpose yeah. of the council. Let's yeah, that's right. It's been a few weeks since we talked about this now, so I'm I'm trying yeah. to remember the the details. But uh, yeah, it, there's yeah, definitely the, a lot. The reality of language. is that they both knew. I yeah, mean, Elrond clearly knew. He was already kind of leading the conversation that way. Right, and, and we, we know, know Gandalf, that Gandalf was, already Gandalf and Frodo were talking about going to the cracks of doom back in the shadow. Yeah, of the all past. the way back they, in shadow of the past. They that's were right. already talking about it, and it wasn't again. It wasn't decided, but Gandalf was already you know kind of bringing this up as an option. Frodo just wasn't quite sure that he wanted to be the one to do it. But yeah, we talked about the fact that if Gandalf knew this was the best thing to do, obviously he talked to Elrond about it, and Elrond seems to be going in that direction. And uh, yeah, and I think we talked about the fact that they want the rest of the free peoples of Middle-earth to make the decision on their own. Right, um, exactly. Not, I guess not on their the, own, with a little organically. help, but they want them to make the decision. They don't want to force this decision on anybody. Right, because that's who they are, yeah. Obviously, we see how well that went the last time Elrond tried to convince Isildur to destroy the ring. <laughs> that's right so, yeah we, we we no longer try to persuade people right we just try to get them to realize that our good idea is really theirs mm -hmm. you know that's kind of what we do isn't it sean we try to get listeners to realize that our good ideas are theirs <laughs> yeah they like yeah. our show <laughs> that's that is a very <laughs> subtle and art you know like masterful way to persuade people put an idea yeah, in their heads absolutely. and make them think it was their own idea mm -hmm. brilliant stuff which is exactly why it can't be us. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So uh, we get Gandalf explaining that some of the scouts have already gone out. We're going we're gonna to send more tomorrow. I love this line, by the way. Elrond is sending elves, and they'll get in touch with the rangers. Elrond is sending elves. Who else is he going to send? <laughs> Does he have dwarven scouts sitting around in Rivendell? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I mean, come on. Of course he's sending elves. Because we know the rangers hang out there a lot, too, but they're not right, living right. there. And, it, and he, and, and he says couldn't that Elrond send them. is sending the elves to get in touch with the rangers. Right, yeah. right, right. He's not yeah. sending out people. He's sending out elves. Yeah. Anyway, men, I should say. He's not sending out maybe, men. Maybe he out says that, maybe Gandalf says that to remind them, like, the message is in good hands. Elves are taking That's it. true. That's true. Elrond yeah. is not sending hobbits. Not that he has Right, hobbits. he's not sending a secret stash of hobbit spies yeah. out to... Uh, yeah. Which is he's, pretty comical thought, really. He's not he's not sending the message to Barliament and asking Barliament to cascade it to exactly. everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Barliament, could you please pass this message along? Yeah. I trust you get that done in a timely yeah. fashion. No. Yeah. Not doing that. We're skipping that short little line about winter. Anything you've got on that, by the way? No, just that it's a, a super cool little poem that that sounds uh, very proverbial. It does. Mm -hmm. I, I think there might have been something in uh, in Hammond and Skull on that. I, I don't have it yeah, in front of me. Yeah, about a poem that it was kind of reminiscent of. Yeah. I think it was a Shakespeare. Uh, it was uh, reminiscent I think so. of, a, of something yeah. by Shakespeare. Yeah. Something about winter. I have to go back and look for that later. But uh, yeah, some stuff on that in Hammond and Skull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I am going to have you pick up uh, with Gandalf shortly after that, uh, after that little poem. Okay. So I'm picking up sort of right in the middle of Gandalf's first line of dialogue here. Mm-hmm. We can't start until we have found out about the riders. 
I thought they were all destroyed in the flood, said Mary. You cannot destroy ringwraiths like that, said Gandalf. The power of their master is in them, and they stand or fall by him. We hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so made for a while less dangerous, but we must find out for certain. In the meantime, you should try and forget your troubles, Frodo. I do not know if I can do anything to help you, but I will whisper this in your ears. Someone said that intelligence would be needed in the party. He was right. I think I shall come with you. So great was Frodo's delight at this announcement that Gandalf left the windowsill where he had been sitting and took off his hat and bowed. I only said I think I shall come. Do not count on anything yet. In this matter, Elrond will have much to say, and your friend the Strider. Which reminds me, I want to see Elrond. I must be off. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Is this the only time we ever see Aragorn referred to as the Strider? Uh, I don't. I'm not prepared to say for it. certain, but I don't remember seeing the Strider before. No. Yeah. You know, let me use my electronic word search to see if the pair of words, the Strider. Well, in chapter 10, when he says, how do you know, how do we know you are the Strider that Gandalf speaks about? Well, that makes that's, sense. That's not, that's, that's not diff- calling yeah, him that's the like, Strider. That's like the Strider. How do we know you're the Strider? Yeah. Right. And this one is the only other reference where it says the Strider. Hmm. So yeah, this is the only time. Interesting. interesting. I just thought that was interesting. Worth noting. Yeah. Strangely archaic. It is. It's, it it, is a may, and, and maybe it is, maybe it is done to show that Gandalf isn't really used to calling him this. You know, that could be Gandalf That's usually right. calls him Aragorn. Gandalf doesn't yeah. know him by this, this funny little name he's called in Bree. That's true. That's kind of the only thing I could think of. Maybe we're going to start calling him the Gandalf. Well, he is called the gray pilgrim, isn't he? There you go. The, the, the gray wanderer. Mm-hmm. And they went to the council of the Elrond. Yep. And uh, here we have the Bilbo and the Frodo talking with the Merry and the Pippin. <laughs> no, I'm just sorry. So the ringwraith, that's really what I wanted to get at here. Yeah. This idea that, you know, most people would think that they were destroyed in the flood, but let's talk a little bit about their nature and why that can't be. And we know this already from the shadow of the past a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly from our lengthy sidebars on the Nazgul. But, you know, here's Mary, like the average person would be going, I don't understand. Weren't they killed? Right. No. They survive or they die by their master. Right. That's it. End of story. They don't die until Sauron dies. But they are less dangerous now because they are not able to interact with the, the physical world. They're unmasked. They're, they're no longer capable of, of um, you know, we talked about this, how talked about the how their cloaks things are, that give them shape. Right. Exactly. Those are what they use to interact with the living. Now that they don't have that, they can't interact. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, but we got to find that out, right? We need, before we send anybody out of here, because they're going to be keeping their eye here if they, mm-hmm. if they're wise, uh, we got to make sure that the, the roads are safe for a very long way around here. Of course, they're going to be watching Rivendell. And, and you know, we'll see this yeah. because I mean, <laughs> that's where the ring disappeared. You know, they may not be able to, yeah. to track it while it's in Elrond's bubble, but obviously they know where they last saw it. So, right. And they know, you know where you weren't they... just crossing the ford there for some other reason. Yeah. Right. But then we get Gandalf's decision, not saying I will come, but I think I shall come. Yeah. Like, like this is almost a spur of the moment decision. What do, you, what do you got on this? What do you think about this? Well, I mean, we know that this is why he's here, right? I mean, he's one of the Astar. Right. He was sent here specifically mm-hmm. to deal with the ring problem, and he has been doing so. So we know this that is a pretty this, hands-on version of uh, a hands-on way of doing that, right? I mean, it wasn't his yeah. job to kind of inspire the hearts of men and elves and, and yeah. peoples to. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I think, and I think that's why he's not more certain yet. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously this is the reason he was sent here by the Valar. So 
you're, right. you're probably thinking, well, yeah, of course he's going to go. This is why he's here. But like you just said, right. Alan, his, purpose. his role is to inspire. And so maybe he's thinking, I, I need to think about whether the Frodo and the others who go with him are ready to do this on their own or if they need me for a little bit longer. Gandalf is a master of, you know, let me go with you so far and then I'm going to let you right, right. take it the rest of the way, rest of the way yourself. That's true. We, we I mean, look at the Hobbit, Hobbit, you know, he did that. Absolutely. Now, granted, the way he uh, leaves the fellowship, a little extreme, probably not what he was intending. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Um, and he does end up coming back and playing a very big role. But yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of his, his plan was like, maybe I'll just go with them so far and, uh, and help, mm-hmm. help them out. And when the time is right, then I'll, I'll let them go the rest of the way on his own. I'll throw myself off a ledge and let yeah. them finish. I, I think yeah. Gandalf always intended for Frodo to do the last bit without him. Oh yeah. You know, I think so too. I don't know if he was expecting it to be just Frodo and Sam, but no, but I don't don't think Gandalf intended to go all the way to Mordor with him. No, I do like how he is planning here to be deferential to Elrond in this. Don't count on my coming. This Elrond's going to have something to say about this, and Aragorn's going to have something to say about that's this. That's even more interesting. The fact that Aragorn's going to yeah, have something he's to deferring say. to Elrond and, and mm-hmm. to an extent also to Aragorn. Yeah, really big. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think he understands Aragorn's role in this whole thing more than Frodo understands at this point. You know, he understands what Aragorn has to do, what his involvement is with this task, and how he's got to be really the leader of the Fellowship in many ways. Uh, and of course, he does become that after Gandalf's fall in, in Moria. But right. Yeah. I think that's a big part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's also really true to his role as the kindler and inspirer is that right. he is not going to force his will on them and say, I am going. He's going to ask and let them make the decision mm-hmm. because ultimately right. it is up to elves and men to, to decide this. Yeah, that's true. Certainly not up to the Astari. So while we're not going to read this part, of course, Frodo's basically asking how long he might stay. Bilbo has this really interesting bit here. He says, I can't count days in Rivendell. We got a little bit on that, don't we? Yeah, we do. Later on, after leaving Lothlorien, Samwise is going to observe something very similar. He's going to say, anyone would think that time did not count in there. Exactly. Because it, it actually does seem like I can't remember exactly the yeah, details. Yeah, the moon's not but, in the right place. There's a number of things like, wait a minute, it should yeah, be, exactly. you know, I counted this number of days. Yeah. Exactly. And I know Verlin Flieger had a lot to say about it in uh, her book, A Question of Time. Yeah. And I think she even says something to the effect of, you know, it's unclear whether time ever counts in elven country. Yeah. And there definitely seems to be an effect like that here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's going to be good to get into that book mm-hmm. uh, again when we get to Lothlorien. She's got a lot to say about I'm that. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one, though, who hears the old Depeche Mode song every time we mention the title of Flieger's book, Question of Time? Uh, Probably. No, actually, you're not. I, I do okay, still good. think of it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, she didn't write a book called A Question of Lust. That would not be a good book. <laughs> no. I, it would be very hard to come up with a Tolkien book with that title. Yeah, it would. That's true. Well, that would be like the story of Aeol, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, goodness. Anyway, no, it's funny. I think you that. brought it up once in uh, season one, that song, in Probably. reference to that title. And every time I look at the title now, I think of that song. I would sing It's a Question of Time, but, you know, we've been asked by so many people to stop, to stop singing, singing that I just can't I help it. Yeah. To, yeah. We're not going to promise no more singing ever, but just. No, just not at this particular it, moment. It, it has to be the right moment. It does. And this is not it. It'll probably be in about seven minutes. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I like this, though. Uh, you know, Bilbo's saying, well, what about helping me with my book? You know, I mean, you're going to be here a while, right? Can I put you to work? <laughs> right. <laughs> Help me assemble all these notes. These manuscripts are really right, messy. Exactly. Yeah. He says something about that later, too. It's pretty much just help me write my book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm, yeah. I'm too busy enjoying Rivendell. Yeah. Oh, goodness. You can tell this was written by somebody who who needed help from his son to kind of like <laughs> keep himself organized, yeah. you know? Exactly. And then you get Bilbo's comment <laughs> that books ought to have good endings. Yeah. That's a pretty cool thing. And that echoes a really important passage in on fairy stories, doesn't it? Indeed, it does. Uh, you, you remember Tolkien started working on The Lord of the Rings just a few years after he presented on fairy stories. Mm-hmm. And here's that paragraph that I wanted to pull out. The consolation of fairy tales has another aspect than the imaginative satisfaction of ancient desires. Far more important is the consolation of the happy ending. Almost, I would venture to assert that all complete fairy stories must have it. At least I would say that tragedy is the true form of drama, its highest function. But the opposite is true of fairy story. Since we do not appear to possess a word that expresses this opposite, I will call it eucatastrophe. The eucatastrophic tale is the true form of fairy tale and its highest function. And here Bilbo's saying exactly that, that books ought to have good endings. That's right. Yep. At least fantasy books. At least fantasy books ought to have good endings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a really great illustration of how Lord of the Rings is Tolkien putting some of his theory into practice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and quite well, too. He does a great job of touching on all of those things. Well, yeah, because, you know. Recovery and on escape and. You, because it, it sinks in, you know, you can, you can read on fairy stories and, you know, you might understand it. You might need to read it a few times before you understand it. But, you know, at a certain point you understand it having read it. But when you read Lord of the Rings, it it just, you feel it, you know, it just kind of, it kind of gets in, kind of, kind of sneaks in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The same ideas kind of sneak in. And I love that. I agree. What do you make of Sam's question and where will they live? (laughs) It's very practical. It's very mundane. It's very Sam. You know, it's down to earth. Yeah. It's a very practical question that sort of ignores the difficulty of how do they get to happily ever after? And just more like, well, I wonder where they'll live. Oh, I like you know, that. I, just, it, it's sort of just a, it's a Sam focus on assuming the, that it's a focus get, on the like the the realities of life, I guess, as opposed to yeah, the know. mundane day to day existence, because, you know, that's really what Sam has been aware of more so than the other hobbits, you know, his yeah. entire life. Yeah. Yeah. His, his life is much more of that day-to-day existence. The practical stuff. And uh, the practical stuff, right. It's like, so okay, great. They're going to live happily ever after. Stuff. Now, where are they going to live? Yeah, where are they going to live? Yeah. Are they going to be in Rivendell? Are they going to go back to the Shire? Yeah. You know, where are we going to be? Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Well, we've got a really neat astronomical passage coming up, and I'm going to have you pick this one up. Mm. Even though this is your second passage in a row, Sean, it's kind of like... It's like A. Arendel. Any A. Arendel stuff, I got to let you do it. I, and and I, I was very happy to have this one. Uh, I hope folks don't mind me taking two in a row. I'm sure they won't. And I will go ahead and start right after the break here. All right. For a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten but ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each good day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and song. So the days slipped away, as each morning dawned bright and fair, and each evening followed cool and clear. 
but autumn was waning fast. Slowly the golden light faded to pale silver, and the lingering leaves fell from the naked trees. A wind began to blow chill from the misty mountains to the east. The hunter's moon waxed round in the night sky and put to flight all the lesser stars. But low in the south one star shone red. Every night, as the moon waned again, it shone brighter and brighter. Frodo could see it from his window, deep in the heavens, burning like a watchful eye that glared above the trees on the brink of the valley. Ooh. You know, one thing I want to talk about here early on in the paragraph before we get to the astronomy stuff, this, the nature of Rivendell itself, the, such was the virtue of the land that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. Yeah. What, what a yeah. beautiful place this is, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's and spiritually, a, not just physically. This, this mm-hmm. cleanses your soul. Yeah. Oh, hey, this is, you know, that's the power of fairy, isn't yeah, it? It's, it? This is, is an it enchanted is. place and, mm-hmm. and you're going to get some recovery, some escape, some consolation. Yeah. You wonder though, is, is some of this, not just the nature of fairy itself, but maybe a power of Elrond's ring, not, not necessarily that line, but this next one, the idea that the future good or ill was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. You know how we talked about time mm-hmm. and sort of this, you know, how does time even count in these elvish refuges? Is this an elvish thing or an Elrond ring thing? That's an interesting thought because, you know, you think about the, the ring's power being in preservation. Well, right. what's preservation but sort of preventing the passage of time, right? Right. It's keeping and, the present uh, into the future. And yeah, yeah, keeping the present present and keeping the future at bay. So maybe this is the ring a little bit. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that is that the rings also kind of make the elves keep not worrying, but what's the word? They, they're kind of regretting the past, don't they? Yeah. You know, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're constantly thinking about the past and all that they've lost. There's this melancholy yeah. that, that the rings sort of enable. And so that almost seems contradictory, but I think you're right. I think this is partly a fairy thing and I think it's partly a, a ring thing. Yeah. And I think the ring just enhances the natural tendencies of elves. That's true. It? So I think you're right. And just as elves themselves, there's sort of this, um, it's a serial longevity approach. You know, it's yeah. this sort of, they've been through so much that whatever the future holds, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Even in this case, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're not yeah. going to worry as much. It's the idea that anything bad, ha- anything bad that happens is not going to last forever. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Now I'm having uh, Oingo Boingo's Nothing Bad Ever Happens to Me popping through into my head. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let's talk about the astronomical stuff, because this is where we get some really, really interesting stuff, right? We get yeah. the Hunter's Moon. Let's start with that. Yeah. What do you have? I, I have to admit, I had to look that one up. Um, yeah. The Hunter's Moon is the full moon after the Harvest Moon. So I guess we kind of have to explain what the Harvest Moon is first. Well, it would um, help, yeah. The harvest moon is the full moon closest to the autumnal equinox. So okay. in the northern hemisphere, the autumnal equinox is typically September 22nd or 23rd, although it can happen, you know, a day or two on either side of that. Right, right, right. Uh, this year, for example, uh, with the equinox taking place on September 22nd, the closest full moon to that was on September 13th and 14th, which meant that the full moon after that, October 12th and 13th, was the hunter's moon. Right. Now, because it's the closest one, it can be before or after. In this case, 13th or 14th is only, you know, nine days away from the equinox, so it happened to be that one. But sometimes it's going to be after, but it's never going to be more than about 14 days after the equinox. Right. And that would be if it was equidistant from the equinox in, in correlation to the 
Harvest Moon that would have been before it. But right. So given the length of the phases of the moon, the absolute latest that the Harvest Moon could take place would be October 9th. And that's assuming that a full half of the moon's phases happen after the latest in equinox can happen, the September 24th. So that would put the latest possible hunter's moon on November 7th, 29 days after that. Now here, Tolkien either made a mistake or he just wasn't following this definition of the hunter's moon because we knew the Council of Elrond took place on October 25th. Tolkien indicated there was a new moon on October 26th. That would mean a full moon around November 10th or 11th. Now, according to Hammond and Skull, in an early draft, Tolkien specifically noted a moon in November as being the hunter's moon. So we're looking here at Frodo gazing at the sky in early to mid-November. But still, if there was a new moon on October 26th working backwards, the full moon would have been on October 11th and 12th. That would have been the hunter's moon because the harvest moon would have been September 12th and 13th, which was closest to the equinox. So, right. Yeah. I'm sure we'll hear from real astronomers on that one, but I'm sure. Yeah. That'll get us started. Well, now let's look at this one star that we see shining red, and Mm -hmm. I'm putting air quotes around star. We don't know for sure which star this actually is, and it might actually be a planet. That is true. It's probably not the star Borgil, which we saw Uh back in Book 1, Chapter 3. At the time, we speculated that that might have been Aldebaran or Betelgeuse, both of which are are reddish stars. But Mm -hmm. Frodo recognized that star when he saw it then, and it was rising in the east three months ago. Right, Um, right. This one being in the south, probably not the same one. Um, This one might be Mars, and that's why I said it may actually be be a planet. Hammond and Skull seem to think it might be Mars. Yeah, I mean, at least I think they quote somebody who said it would be Mars. But here's the thing. I don't know enough about astronomy, and I've got to say whether it's Mars or an actual star, I think its purpose here is really to foreshadow the eye of Sauron, especially given Mm. the direction in which Frodo sees it. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's it's not yeah. literally the eye of Sauron. The Tower of Barad-dur would have to be 150 miles high for him to see it right. from there. Uh, no, the but you're, I, you're absolutely like right. It is, yeah. it is absolutely foreshadowing. A watchful yeah. eye. Yeah, this is clearly, uh, you know, a foreshadowing. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, at this point, I don't know that it matters whether it's a real star or an actual planet, and I'm sure we could debate it all night long with real astronomers. Well, it matters uh, we to shall me. not. <laughs> it matters. I'm curious, but... <laughs> I'm going to let the real experts dive in on this and they'll send us messages and tell us and we'll be able to throw it into a future episode and say, hey, guess what? Hat tip to listener X and Y who told us such and such. There you go. That's the amazing thing about the Tolkien community, by the way. When we don't have the knowledge, somebody different else kinds, does. Oh, there's so many different kinds of expertise out there. Yeah. I know. I know. Anytime we have questions in the history of Middle Earth, who do we go to? I mean, we don't even have to go to her. She just shows up in our feed. <laughs> right. Tanya always uh, pops yep, up and uh, she knows her stuff. An yep. Love it. Absolutely. So glad to have yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, and if I say anything about a horse, I know Debbie's going to jump in and, yep. and let me know. Absolutely. It's great. Thankful I for love it. it. So, yeah. Keeps us honest. Keeps us Absolutely. learning, actually, which is even more I know. Valuable. Yeah. Which, frankly, I never thought would happen. I figured I knew everything. No, just that's a joke. <laughs> I figured I knew everything that I'd ever know because at this point, I'm not going to learn anything, but I'm wrong. Sometimes it doesn't it. feel like you're you're learning anymore, but. You are. It's I know. getting in there. Yeah, it just it's pushing out more information. One thing pushes out another, as Barnuman says. Well, so I mean, I did, and, and never, for every new thing I learn, I forget something. I just hope it's nothing important. <laughs> it's it's probably like the lyrics to like the second verse of Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo. Probably. Probably. So, <laughs> anyway. All right. I'm going to go ahead and pick up after that. We're going to skip forward here. We're going to use the fast forward button. The hobbits had been nearly two months in the House of Elrond and November had gone by with the last shreds of autumn. 
and December was passing when the scouts began to return. Some had gone north beyond the springs of the Horwell into the Etnmoors, and others had gone west and, with the help of Aragorn and the rangers, had searched the lands far down the Grey Flood as far as Tharbad, where the Old North Road crossed the river by a ruined town. Many had gone east and south, and some of these had crossed the mountains and entered Mirkwood, while others had climbed the pass at the sources of the Gladden River, and had come down into Wilderland and over the Gladden Fields, and so at length had reached the old home of Radagast at Roscabel. Radagast was not there, and they had returned over the high pass that was called the Redhorn Gate. The sons of Elrond, Eladan and Elrohir, were the last to return. They had made a great journey, passing down the Silver Lode into a strange country, but of their errand, they would not speak to any save to Elrond. Well, there you well, go. But we're going to speak of it, aren't we? Oh, of course we are. Of course we are. So, so two months. Let's figure out when this is, right? So f- they'd been nearly two months in the house of Elrond. Frodo mm-hmm. was at the Ford of Bruinen on October 20th. That's right. And as you know, he woke in the house of Elrond, as you will undoubtedly remember, at 10 o'clock in the morning on October the 24th, if you want to know. And we will all remember that forever because we saw yeah. you post on Facebook about it. On October the 24th. Because it was 10 o'clock in the morning on October 24th. Yeah. In the Pacific time zone, people. How much trouble did I get in from people? Oh, it's not 10 (laughs) o'clock here anymore. (laughs) You you did get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Not my fault. I mean, really, did I invent time zones? No. (laughs) Not my problem. I think what we should do next time is just make that post every hour. (laughs) Post it every hour. Yeah. 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 We'll have to find out the international dateline. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. 24 times that shows up. Yep. Somebody out in the middle of the Pacific. Would, folks Yay, would love that. Recognized. Wouldn't it? Folks that love would, yeah, getting sure 24 of the same posts. Identical in a posts. Day. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they do. We won't get blocked by anybody. No, not Facebook at all. Facebook themselves might tag us as spammers, Sean. I don't know. I want to do that. <laughs> they might. Yeah. Your page has been blocked for spam. <laughs> all right. So my point was just that, you know, Frodo got here. Well, he woke up on the 24th, but he kind of got here on the 20th. And here we are well into December, two months later. It is late in the year. Mm-hmm. Scouts come back. And where have they been? They've all kind of gone different ways, haven't they? So yeah. some had gone yeah, north have. up into the Etten Moors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Others went west with Aragorn and the Rangers down the Grey Flood. Uh-huh. Yeah. Others went east and south. Some of those went over the Misty Mountains into Mirkwood. We see that mm-hmm. some went over the Gladden Fields and eventually made their way to Roscabel, get some of those big rabbits. And, oh, goodness, uh, no. <laughs> Didn't find Radagast there though. Radagast That's a lot gone. of rabbit stew, by the way. When you take one of take a, a pair of those conies. Oh yeah, a of those. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's stew for about a hundred. Sam and people. Gollum could each take one of those, and Gollum could eat his raw, and Sam could cook his, and everybody would be happy. Yeah. Except well, for the rabbits and well, Radagast, and possibly Radagast. All right. <laughs> but yeah, Radagast is gone. He's already, he's left. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows where he's at? Mm-hmm. He's off. Talking to some animals someplace. Mm-hmm. He's off doing a Dr. Doolittle impression. Uh, so then you got Elodan and Elro here. They've gone down the Silver Lode. They don't tell us, of course, exactly where this is, but you know where this is. This is Lothlorien, folks. Yeah. 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 And uh, in Tolkien's Unfinished Index and also in words, phrases, and passages in Lord of the Rings, which is published mm-hmm. as Parmel de Lambron number 17, Tolkien says that Silver Lode is a translation of Celebrant, which is Cinderin right. for Silver Course. Easy enough. Mm-hmm. So then uh, what do they find out from the scouts? We're not going to read that paragraph or those few paragraphs, but what do they find out? No sign of the riders. No right, sign of right. any other servants of Sauron. Even, even, the, the, even the eagles. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no sign of Gollum. Right. Right. 
about the only thing they do find are the, the wild wolves are gathering and hunting. No surprise there. It's what they do. Mm-hmm. They find three horses. So they found, yeah. so they found three of the horses. Right, and then, right. And then they find five more below, right? Right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three drowned and, okay, yes, three drowned and then the bodies of five more on the rocks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so right. that's eight of the nine, right? Right. Which means that one of them got away. Exactly. Well, then let's see what the Marquette manuscript for the Hunt for the Ring has to say about this missing horse. It is probable that the captain took the one horse that remained. He may have had strength to withdraw it from the flood. And, unclad, naked, invisible, rode as swift as he could back to Mordor. At swiftest, he could not accomplish that, for his horse at least would need some food and rest, though he needed none, ere November had passed. The wrath and fear of Sauron then may be guessed. Yet if there was any in the world in whom he trusted, it was the Lord of Angmar. And if his wrath were lessened by perceiving that his great servant had been defeated by ill chance and the craft of the wise, rather than by faults of his own, his fear would be the more, seeing what power was yet in his enemies and how sharply fortune favored them at each turn when all seemed lost. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, he couldn't have gotten there till, uh, till the end of, till after the end of November. So we're in a good spot right now to travel out. There are two things I love about that passage you just read from the Marquette Manuscript. The first mm-hmm. is we see this in all those passages from the Marquette Manuscript and in some of the passages that made it into The Hunt for the Ring in Unfinished Tales. Right. We see so frequently how angry Sauron gets when the ring wraiths screw up. And, oh, yeah. And they, they screw up a lot. <laughs> That's very satisfying <laughs> to me to think of Sauron losing his temper with the ring wraiths. And I, and I just kind of love that. And I, and I kind of, I do kind of wish that we got more of Sauron in the book. Do you ever feel like that? You know, Sauron yeah, is this yeah. sort of, he's this kind of faceless enemy. You never really see yeah. him. He's in off in the margins somewhere. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's almost a personification of evil at this yeah. point. And, and so we never really see him uh, as a, as a villain, as a flesh and blood villain. And, uh, and I mean that figuratively, but. Well, right. But uh, it would be really cool if we could actually see more of that because uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it would be cool. But the other yeah. thing that I really like about. But we do get that in the hunt for the ring, don't we? This yeah, idea we do. Of, exactly. Of, of a villain who is scared. Who yeah. is kind of realizing there's something going on here. Right. And uh, yeah, he's panicking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's the second thing that I love about the, what you just read is the, the idea that Sauron would have been scared. And yeah. he would have realized, oh, wait, fortune is favoring the good guys. So uh, Iluvatar is still at work in the world. The Valar are still at work yep. in the world. That's not good this news This might for me. not be a winning battle for me. Yeah. <laughs> that is correct. I love that. It's me against the world, and the world has God on its side. <laughs> that's, that's probably <laughs> yeah. a problem. God and yeah. little G-gods, I think I'm out in Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> so Gandalf's uh, reasonable conclusion here about the ring race is that they aren't, uh, aren't going to telecommute anymore. They have to go back to the office, and it's going to be a rather <laughs> unpleasant meeting with the boss, I think. Uh, probably no donuts is my guess <laughs> out of this meeting. No more travel is going to be approved. Yeah, no more. Yeah, your your uh, expense reports are all going to be really yeah. gone over with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, he draws a conclusion based on that, which is really we can't wait any longer. We've got to go now. Yep. This is a great time for us to go. There's no way they could be back up here, but if we wait much longer, they will have been able to get back here. So. Yeah. Winter Schminter. We're going to leave now. Winter Winter Schminter. I like that. All right. Well, before we move on. 
We want to thank today's sponsor, Signum University. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy studying Tolkien's writings? Would you like to study with like-minded students and instructors? Why not? Uh, Signum University is the only state-approved university that offers an online master's degree program with a concentration in Tolkien studies. Mm -hmm. Take classes on Tolkien's writings, languages, academic work, and cultural impact, taught by top Tolkien scholars like Tom Shippey, Verlin Flieger, John Garth, and Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor himself. You can also round out your speculative fiction studies with classes in imaginative literature, classical and medieval literature, and Germanic philology. To register, visit signumuniversity.org today. You know, and thanks to Signum University for partnering with us on this. Uh, I, I got to say, I'd love to take Germanic philology. I know I'm terrible with languages. And I, I'm too busy to do it. But boy, doesn't that sound fun? I have had it. I've, I've been so close to, to clicking to, to audit that for audit, so long. I know. And, uh, I know. Haven't gotten around to it. It's, uh, But yeah, I, I definitely want yeah. to. When the show is over, maybe, right? Yeah. We can do it <laughs> yeah, when, we're, sure. when we're old. Yeah. <laughs> because the good news is Corey will still be doing Exploring the Lord of the Rings, and he'll probably be somewhere around, oh, I don't know, uh, Lothlorien, and, and, and we'll, we'll, be and we'll still be that. and we'll still be ready to learn, like little sponges, ready to ready to absolutely, soak it up. absolutely great stuff. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pick up after that here. Uh, this is when after they've decided they're not going to be able to delay. Elrond summoned the hobbits to him. He looked gravely at Frodo. The time has come, he said. If the ring is to set out, it must go soon. But those who go with it must not count on their errand being aided by war or force. They must pass into the domain of the enemy, far from aid. Do you still hold to your word, Frodo, that you will be the ring-bearer? I do, said Frodo. I will go with Sam. Then I cannot help you much, not even with counsel, said Elrond. I can foresee very little of your road, and how your task is to be achieved I do not know. The shadow has crept now to the feet of the mountains and draws nigh even to the borders of the Grey Flood, and under the shadow all is dark to me. You will meet many foes, some open and some disguised, and you may find friends upon your way when you least look for it. I will send out messages, such as I can contrive, to those whom I know in the wide world. But so perilous are the lands now become that some may well miscarry, or come no quicker than you yourself and I will choose you companions to go with you as far as they will or fortune allows. The number must be few, since your hope is in speed and secrecy. Had I a host of elves in armor of the elder days, it would avail little, save to arouse the power of Mordor. The company of the ring shall be nine, and the nine walkers shall be set against the nine riders that are evil. With you and your faithful servant, Gandalf will go, for this shall be his great task, and maybe the end of his labors. For the rest, they shall represent the other free peoples of the world, elves, dwarves, and men. Legolas shall be for the elves, and Gimli, son of Glowen, for the dwarves. They are willing to go at least to the passes of the mountains, and maybe beyond. For men you shall have Aragorn, son of Arathorn, for the ring of Isildur concerns him closely. Strider, cried Frodo. Yes, he said with a smile. I ask leave once again to be your companion, Frodo. I would have begged you to come, said Frodo. Only I thought you were going to Minas Tirith with Boromir. I am, said Aragorn, and the sword that was broken shall be reforged ere I set out to war. But your road and our road lie together for many hundreds of miles. Therefore Boromir will also be in the company, 
He is a valiant man. Plymouth Valiant. Those are great cars, weren't they? <laughs> no, anyway. I'm just thinking Aragorn feels like he has to explain. Boromir's a valiant man. Yeah. I mean, and I guess it's just because, you know, Frodo doesn't know him, so he, you know, he doesn't. True. Probably a little ambivalent. What Frodo about... knows is that Boromir kind of opposed Aragorn, seemed to be kind of. That's true, too. Hostile yeah. in a way. And I think Aragorn is saying, you know, you can set that aside. He's he's a valiant man. We're he's, cool, man. We're cool now. Yeah. Yeah. We went outside. We fought it out. You know, we hugged it out. And now we're good. Yeah. Yep. It's a shame we didn't see that, you know? Those guys just. You yeah. Know, wouldn't that have been th- interesting? Those two bonding. That would have been kind of cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we'll see them bond over the rest of this book, I guess. But. Yeah. That's true. Well, <laughs> yeah. For a little bit longer. Well, for the rest just of this book, this at least. Yeah. For, yeah, the, for the rest true. of this volume, I should say. <laughs> oh goodness! Poor Gandalf, poor, poor ready for the end of his labors. He's just like, he's like Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. He's just like too old. For yeah, this. <laughs> I'm too old. Is Gandalf going to say that now? I hope so. Uh, yeah, this is a family-friendly yeah. podcast, so we can't quote him on that one. <laughs> uh, so we start this whole thing with with Elrond confirming Frodo's commitment to being the ring bearer. He describes this really in no uncertain terms, does he? That is true. I mean, just yeah. You're, do you still hold your word? This is this is going to be a hard thing. Yeah, going to pass in the domain of the enemy, far from aid. It's not. We're, gonna we're be not going to help you with or war force. or force. Can't even help you with counsel. Yeah, I, can't, I mean, really, that's really true. You're on your own, man. This is <laughs> that, brutal. That is really true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm kind of looking at this. I mean, even like the little <laughs> bit I can do, like, hey, I'll send out messages such as I can drive. Even that, I'm right. qualified. I'll do my best. You know. Right. I don't know, bro. And the lands are so bad, they might not even get anywhere. Right. I don't know, man. You might be on your own, but I'll do what I can. <laughs> it's not very encouraging. There are some black dots moving <laughs> towards the green dot. <laughs> I think yep. the green dot's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the black dots are the writers. And yeah. how yeah, your task is to be achieved, I do not know. Now, no, still don't know. Now that. <laughs> That's interesting because it's like, I mean, that one really more than anything else is like, man, I don't know how you're going to do this. You know, <laughs> this is hopeless, man, but you got to do it. <laughs> right. So thanks for signing up. It it kind of reminds me of, do you remember when we talked to Verlin Flieger back in episode 90 and she talked about uh-huh. how Tolkien drops hints throughout the book that Frodo's going to fail at the end. Right. This right. is kind of one of those. It's like, this is man, really, it's not this very is pretty hopeless. You know and I really don't know how you're going to do this, but good luck, man. But good, good luck. luck. <laughs> I do love Frodo's commitment to bringing Sam with him, Bo, by the way, at the very beginning oh, yeah. when he responds. Yeah, I do confirm. I still hold to my word. I'm going to go with Sam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ergo, I'm holding Sam to his word, too. That's right. I'm bringing this guy with me. Somebody's got to cook my dinner. Yep. <laughs> it's good to have a manservant. A Batman. Come on. Manservant is such a an Batman, ugly word. I know. It really is. I agree. What else do we have? Here? I do want to touch real quickly on this. Friends upon your way when you least look for it. Yeah. We find some of those, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Faramir right off the bat. Yeah. That's the first one I'm thinking of. Absolutely. It's really the only one I'm thinking of for Frodo and Sam. Yeah. Mary and Pippin will find their own friends when they least look sure, for it. Sure. They'll them. find and Treebeard. But... Aragorn right, and Legolas and Gimli will find Aemir. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Faramir there. They'll also find Gandalf, so. won't they? They'll find that's old true. friends find him a second they time. look they, for it. That's right. That's pretty cool. That's right. That, that is good. You'll meet many foes, some open and some disguised. That's also true. Mm-hmm. 
interesting that they they choose nine, right? The number has to be few. Yeah. And so they pick this symbolic number. Yeah. I mean, what do you what do you think about I mean, obviously on the on the surface, he says it's going to be nine walkers to be set against the nine riders. Is it right. is it just right. because there are nine ring wraiths that he's going to It sure with seems nine? that way. And I do I, I don't understand why. Why? I mean, I understand it has to be a small number. It's there's no point in sending fifty people, let alone you know a whole host of elves in the armor. Of the yeah, other days. none of that. Yeah, none of that would have helped. No, yeah, that's not going to help. Right. By the way, I want to just make one little side note. Had I host of elves in armor of the elder days, does that not imply what we see even in the world of men that that back then it was better? Oh yeah, yeah. Like the, the idea of like this the elder being days a, a world in decline. Now. Yeah, the the yeah, the, the stuff the we elves. had back then. Even the elves had their own Eldenta yeah. Yoeric, right? Their, their armor yeah, of their elder yeah, days was, was so. better than the armor they have these days. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It sure seems that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, getting back to this nine thing, I mean, it just seems to me like maybe he's, I don't know, handicapping him a little bit and doesn't need to. I don't know. I mean, later on, we get the list of who's going to go. Yeah. And I'm thinking of the fact that... I mean, okay, so uh, again... It, this this is not going to be accomplished through force, right? So, no, no. Eighteen is not going to accomplish it any better than nine. Ninety is not going to accomplish couldn't, it. Any couldn't you than just nine. drop maybe Glorfindel in there and send ten? Well, I mean, really, Gandalf's going to nice little Gandalf's going to have some thoughts on that later. Actually, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I think honestly, to me, I, what I get from this is I I kind of think it's just like a big like they're they're kind of deliberately trying to tweak Sauron with this. Like, hey, you've yeah, I think you've so. got nine riders, we've got nine walkers. Come at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. You know, I th- I think that's kind of what this Come is. Come at me, bro. <laughs> that's that's all I can think because why else does it have to be nine? They're not going to go, you know, face to face with the ring rates. It's not like they need, you know, man to man coverage. No, that's true. So they're going to play a zone defense anyway right, with Hobbit. Exactly. Really. Yeah. You can't play. Right. So (laughs) that's all I can think. It's just like, hey, we're going to, these are going to be our nine. You've got your nine. These are our nine. And fair um, enough. And it's funny. He starts with the number first. Well, he he doesn't start with a list of possible people. He says, let's start with a fixed number of people that we're going to find. Exactly. Because he's talking about this idea of it it representing the free peoples of the world. So you you figure, okay, well, we got Frodo and Sam. You know, we got Aragorn for the 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 Dunedain, Boromir for the Men of Gondor, right. Gandalf, Legolas, and Gimli. Okay, we're done. Seven, right? Because we've got hobbits, we've got yeah. men, we've got elves, dwarves, so forth. But and then we can add more. But he's already decided that he wants nine, and there aren't other races, at least at the table, no, to, to choose from. So it's not like he's adding extra. Yeah, people I don't think to... the Bjornings are going to send one. Right? No. no. <laughs> Though that might have been helpful. That too. That would have been be pretty fun. cool, actually. Yeah. So yeah. Been. So that's what. I think he is he's deliberately he's deliberately inverting the nine riders. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think so. Now maybe he's got a maybe he's got a better reason for it than just like, you know, hey Sauron, get a load of this. But I kind of think he doesn't. <laughs> I'm, and I'm and I'm cool think with that's that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I am okay with that. But yeah, so he starts out with you and Frodo, and then of course we gotta add Gandalf. Yep. Every party needs a spellcaster. Yeah. So you gotta have you gotta have Gandalf. And then like you said, the rest are to represent the other free people. Mm-hmm. So you get Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn, and then you add Boromir since he's headed in the same direction. Mm-hmm. But what are the remaining two? Right. Elrond's just going to send, like, you know, elf number 47 and elf number 48. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Red shirts, yeah. you know? Maybe he was planning to send Glorfindel. I don't know. Maybe he was going to send Glorfindel and Galdor. And then Pippin and Merry said, no, we want to go. And they're like, okay, you guys go instead. 
wow, instead of (laughs) no, it ends up okay though. Different story. It ends up okay. Spoilers. It does. does. Yeah, who knows if they would have been able to convince uh, Treebeard the way Marion Pippin did. Absolutely. But let's go ahead and have you pick up exactly where I left off because that's when we're going to talk about Marion Pippin. Okay. I'll let you read that. There remain two more to be found," said Elrond. "These I will consider. Of my household, I may find some that it seems good to me to send." But that will leave no place for us, cried Pippin in dismay. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead, said Elrond. Neither does Frodo, said Gandalf, unexpectedly supporting Pippin. Nor do any of us see clearly. It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. But they would still wish to go, or wish that they dared, and be shamed and unhappy. I think, Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. Even if you chose for us an elf lord, such as Glorfindel, he could not storm the dark tower, nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. You speak gravely, said Elrond, but I am in doubt. The Shire, I forebode, is not free now from peril, and these two I had thought to send back there as messengers, to do what they could, according to the fashion of their country to warn the people of their danger. In any case, I judge that the younger of these two, Peregrine Took, should remain. My heart is against his going. Then, Master Elrond, you will have to lock me in prison, or send me home tied in a sack, said Pippin, for otherwise I shall follow the company. Let it be so, then. You shall go, said Elrond, and he sighed. Now the tale of nine is filled. In seven days the company must depart. So we get we get a few things here that are worth talking about. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Elrond's reminder that, you know, look, you really, you, no, you don't get it. No, you think you get it. You don't get it, I promise you. Uh, but, but Gandalf has something really pointed to uh-huh. say there, doesn't he? Yeah. Look, even, even Frodo, Frodo doesn't, doesn't get this. Even Frodo doesn't get it. None of yeah. us do. We don't know. Yep. Yeah. This is ennoblement of the ignoble. Yes, it is. Gandalf believes that it's a thing. Elrond, uh, yep. I, I don't know if it's fair to say he He's doesn't believe in it, but he... Uh, that's what that's the angle Gandalf is seeing here. Like these guys are going to rise yeah. to the challenge. Yeah, their love is going to make yeah, them. They're going to be able to pull this off. Because again, like you said, it's not about power. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, like he says, even if you chose Glorfindel, he can't do this by the power that he has. Right. But you know, it, uh, Elrond's got a point, though. Look, the Shire is in danger, and these people would have been great messengers to go back and tell them. Uh, and by the way, Peregrine's an idiot. I don't want him to go. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much what he's saying. Poor Peregrine. My heart is against his going yeah. as well as my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Elrond and Gandalf are as mean to Pippin as we are to Feanor. Almost. Yeah. Almost. I refuse to believe anybody's as mean to anybody as we are to and Feanor. And Feanor deserves wanna, it a lot more than Pippin does. I don't want to lose that does, prize. So yeah, oh, absolutely that. he does. Yeah. Yeah. Pippin, Pippin hasn't committed any kin slayings nope. that I'm aware of. No. No. <laughs> he hasn't set any major fires. But I love that Gandalf's, uh, that's true. I love that Gandalf's support, it's really unexpected, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. This whole idea that- It says that. It's unexpectedly supporting Pippin. Rather to friendship. Yeah. Unexpectedly supporting yeah. Pippin, because of course he usually just bashes right. him. But trust to friendship rather than the great wisdom. And I, and I wanted to point that out because Hammond and Skull make a really great point here in The Reader's Companion. So they look forward to the Houses of Healing in Book 5, and Gandalf says then, If Elrond had not yielded to me, neither of you would have set out. And then far more grievous would the evils of this day have been. Well, how right is he? 
what is that day he's talking about, the evils of this day? Well, Mary had just stabbed the witch king in the back of the knee, enabling Eowyn to deal her deadly blow. Yep. And Pippin had just saved Faramir from a despairing and suicidal Denethor. So, yeah, mm-hmm. this worked out. It worked this out. This worked out amazingly. It worked so. out not just for hobbits, not just for the Shire. It worked out right. for, for Rohan yeah. and for Gondor. Yeah. Absolutely. And for Eowyn and Faramir personally, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And for that's all right. their, Boy, and for all their children that. and grandchildren. So, yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Pretty amazing stuff there. Yeah. Boy, you know, I, I had not even tied those two together, you're, but you're so yeah. right. I I had completely forgotten about that. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here putting this together and realizing you have Eowyn being helped by Mary and you have Faramir being saved by mm-hmm. Pippin. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then the two of them end up yep. together. So it's even more amazing. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and of course, the Shire did have to pay for it a little bit. The Shire had some rough times. Well, yeah. But it ended up did. okay. Yeah. And it's not like Elrond couldn't send somebody to get a message to no. them. He must not have. Yeah. You have to wonder if hobbits would have really listened. I mean, even if That's even right. if Mary and Pippin had come back and said, hey, this horrible stuff yeah. is going to happen. We need to be prepared. It's not like Saruman came in, you know, obviously. It, it was all subterfuge. It was all, uh, you know, influenced through... Um, through Lotho. Uh, through Lotho. Yeah. Although yeah. if Mary and Pippin had been back there, maybe... And these are a lot of what-ifs that don't really matter. But, that is I mean, a big maybe, but yeah. But maybe they could have, you know, maybe stopped Lotho. They would have seen what was coming. But I don't know. I don't know that Mary and maybe. Pippin had really grown enough yet to really... No, not at that to, point. To really, yeah. to really save the Shire from Lotho. So I think it ended up the way it, the way it had to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and before we move on, I wanted to touch on one last thing in this passage. Pippin's stubborn insistence, but, you know, Elrond wasn't stubborn enough at all in my book. I mean, I'm not saying Pippin shouldn't have gone. Like we just talked about, it's a good thing that he did. But I love how he's like, you know, Peregrine shouldn't go. My heart's against his going. And all Pippin does is say, you know, wah, 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 you're going to have to lock me up or send me home. Fine, you shall go. I mean, (laughs) dude, you're Elrond. Here's how I... If this is something you're against, be a little stronger. I totally get that, but here's how I read that. I think that... I think that Gandalf has already persuaded Elrond, and Elrond is testing yeah. Pippin specifically here. Mm. Elrond is, you I know, see. Gandalf says, "Is he really willing let to let Merry and Pippin yeah. go?" I think, I think their love is going to be better than, you know, a couple of elf lords. Yeah. And Elrond recognizes that Pippin is not as mature as Merry, and I think that's why he says right. Pippin specifically should remain. Just to see, just if to Pippin see what Pippin is does. To say, Pippin, no, I really yeah, do want to go. To see if Pippin, if Pippin says, okay. I don't know, if if Pippin reacts differently, if he agrees to it, then obviously his heart's not quite in it. You know, is Pippin yeah. just kind of? That's an interesting yeah. take. I I think I didn't go there because of the way you shall go, said Elrond, and he sighed. It was very much like. Fine, I'm not dying on this hill. I mean, you're, you know, <laughs> well, we get that, right? How yeah, often do we like, that's, okay, that's a good point. Fine, son, you can have a second candy bar. I am just tired of arguing with oh, you. Oh, yeah. No, that's I mean, a good really, point. really, you know, that's kind of what this is. That's a good point. But if Elrond really wanted to put his foot down, he could. It is his house. At least that's what it we is, tell ourselves right. <laughs> when it comes to our kids. <laughs> you're under my roof. <laughs> it's my rules. Oh, this is getting into a bad yeah. place. <laughs> so before it does, we're going to move on to the next section. Ah, swords and armor. I'm just going to read a single paragraph because there's a a lot of things to talk about in it. Yeah. The sword of Elendil was forged anew by elvish smiths, and on its blade was traced a device of seven stars set between the crescent moon and the rayed sun, and about them was written many runes, 
for Aragorn, son of Arathorn, was going to war upon the marches of Mordor. Very bright was that sword when it was made whole again. The light of the sun shone redly in it, and the light of the moon shone cold, and its edge was hard and keen. And Aragorn gave it a new name and called it Anduril, Flame of the West. Oh, man. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. that. I know. What a moment. I want to see that. I, I want to see the seven stars. I want yeah. to see the crescent moon. I want to see it in the sun and in yeah. the moon. Oh. Beautiful device. Beautiful device. And an old oh, one, isn't, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us where it goes back to. Yeah. This goes all the way back to Elendil. This was actually his heraldic device. Mm-hmm. Hammond and Spell yeah. give us a little more information about it. They point out that in a note in the 1966 index, Tolkien indicates that the seven stars originally represented the single stars on the banners of each of seven ships that carried a Palantir. Now, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the sun and moon device on it actually also echoes the original name of the sword, Narsil. Uh, from letter number 347, oh, yeah. Tolkien says, Narsil is a name composed of two basic stems without variation or adjuncts, Nar, fire, and Thil, white light. It thus symbolized right. the chief heavenly lights as enemies of darkness, sun, Anar, and moon, in Quenya, Isil. Right. Also, Ooh, that sounds familiar, it doesn't does, it? It does, doesn't yeah. it? It also echoes the names of Elendil's sons, Anarion and Isildur. So, Elendil yeah. was really into the sun and moon thing, made a yeah, historic yeah. device, named his kids after it. And you guys thought I was obsessed with astronomical stuff. But <laughs> I got yeah. I got nothing on Elendil. No, nothing on Elendil. But it's not called Narsil anymore. Got a new name. No, it's now called Anduril, Flame of the West. And I've got a little bit of word nerdery here because, of course, I can't t- let you take all of it. Okay. Uh, that is derived from Quenya Andune, Sunset mm-hmm. or West, and Ril, R-I-L, which is Glitter or mm-hmm. Brilliance. So yep. there you go. I love that name, too. Especially in context with the recent poem, the, you know, Bilbo's song, The Flamifer of Westerness. Oh, yeah. And, and I think you really do see a parallel here in the flame of the West. Well, that's interesting. So. That is yeah. really interesting now that you say that. Because Erendil, mm-hmm. the Flamifer of Westerness, was a later symbol right. of hope set in the sky hundreds of years after the mm-hmm. sun and moon. Absolutely. Now with Aragorn, so the sword was originally the sun and moon sword. And now it's Flame of the West, right, so in a sense it's the Arendel sword. It parallels that exactly. same story. That's really cool. I like that. <laughs> Isn't it? That's great. That is really pretty cool. So next up in these paragraphs that we're not going to read, we get the kind of the preparation for the trip, right? Mm-hmm. We get Aragorn and Gandalf. I love this. They're studying. They're doing the work. You know, they're looking at the maps. They're looking at the lore books. Most of the time, Frodo's with Bilbo. You know, sometimes somebody's not looking at the maps. We'll find that out later. (laughs) Yeah, we know who's not looking at the maps. I do love that they get a chance to finally hear the full tale of Baron and Luthien. Yeah, yeah, that's obviously going to have an effect on Sam, right? He's going to mention it later. That is. He is Mm going to mention that later. And it's right after that that I'm going to have you pick up. Oh, all right. In the day, while Merry and Pippin were out and about, Frodo and Sam were to be found with Bilbo in his own small room. Then Bilbo would read passages from his book, which still seemed very incomplete, or scraps of his verses, or would take notes of Frodo's adventures. On the morning of the last day, Frodo was alone with Bilbo, and the old hobbit pulled out from under his bed a wooden box. He lifted the lid and fumbled inside. 
Here is your sword, he said. But it was broken, you know. I took it to keep it safe, but I've forgotten to ask if the smiths could mend it. No time now. So I thought perhaps you would care to have this, don't you know? He took from the box a small sword in an old shabby leathern scabbard. Then he drew it, and its polished and well-tended blade glittered suddenly, cold and bright. This is Sting, he said, and thrust it with little effort deep into a wooden beam. Take it if you like. I shan't want it again, I expect. Well, that's a generous gift. I'll Thank take you. it. Thank you. Yes, want please. It. I love that he starts out by giving him the, the old broken sword. Well, here's the one you had, but, you know. It, I can it give broke. you this. I meant to get it fixed. I didn't. You can have right. it back. Or Instead, here. you can have this. Yeah. Would you like what's behind door number one right. or what's behind door number two? I'll take what's right. behind door number two for sure. Oh, Frodo's so excited he's walking on the moon. Oh. 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 <laughs> Well said. I can't even top that one. I'm just going to stand here in the glow of that wonderful reference. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking like, don't stand oh, too come on, to what me. sting reference can I make? What sting reference? <laughs> there you go. That's good stuff, man. Oh, all right. <laughs> Caught you off guard a little bit, one. didn't That's I? That's great. You did. You did. You really did. Oh. That, was, that was phenomenal. No, he does. Frodo accepts it gratefully. He's happy to have it. Exactly. And then I'm, I'm going to pick up right after that uh, with more gifts. Also, there is this, said Bilbo, bringing out a parcel which seemed to be rather heavy for its size. He unwound several folds of old cloth and held up a small shirt of mail. It was close woven of many rings, as supple almost as linen, cold as ice, and harder than steel. You're as cold as ice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Willing to sacrifice our love. We went straight from the police to right. foreigner. <clears throat> that's how you know, folks. You're listening to the one and only Prancing Pony podcast. Yeah, that's right. The, that's right. Except no <laughs> imitations. <laughs> <laughs> this is a long night. <laughs> it shone like moonlit silver and was studded with white gems. With it was a belt of pearl and crystal. It's a pretty thing, isn't it? said Bilbo, moving it in the light. And useful. It is my dwarf mail that Thorin gave me. I got it back from Mickledelving before I started and packed it with my luggage. I brought all the mementos of my journey away with me except the ring. I did not expect to use this, and I don't need it now, except to look at sometimes. You hardly feel any weight when you put it on. I should look, well, well I don't think I should look right in it, said Frodo. Just what I said myself, said Bilbo, but never mind about looks. You can wear it under your outer clothes. Come on, you must share the secret with me. Don't tell anybody else. Bilbo's still keeping secrets. Yep. <laughs> These are a little little more uh, benevolent than some of the other ones. Well, yeah. But you notice carefully, Bilbo never mentions Mithril. I do notice that, yeah. He doesn't describe it, yeah. though, does he? We yeah. only know what yeah. it is if we've already read this book and we've seen the reference to it later, or if we've read The Hobbit. Right. Or at least the later edition of The Hobbit. Yeah. But exactly, because in the first edition of The Hobbit, it was never called Mithril there right. either. It was of silvered steel and ornamented with pearls. And the phrase silver steel, which the elves call Mithril, was added later. Right. So if you put on your time travel hat and imagine you're a reader jumping into this book in 1954 after just reading the, the first edition of The Hobbit, mm -hmm. I mean, they'd never heard of Mithril. Well, 
except a couple of chapters ago in Bilbo's Song of Arendelle. Remember, there's right. that reference to the new ship mm-hmm. being of Mithril yeah. and of Elven Glass. So if that's the only time you've ever heard of Mithril, then when you hear later on that this is a Mithril coat, it is literally the stuff of legend. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. wow, isn't it amazing that this coat that Bilbo and now Frodo has had all this time is is this stuff. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Wow, that's that is incredible, really is. Yep. And I love the description. Supple almost as linen. Mm. And yet harder than steel. Mm-hmm. What what an absolute amazing material yeah. this is. They don't make them like that yeah. anymore. No, they don't. But Frodo's response about wearing it is just like Bilbo's, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've actually got Bilbo's uh, comment here from The Hobbit. He said, I feel magnificent, he thought, but I expect I look rather absurd. How they would laugh on the hill at home. And Frodo says, I should look, well, I don't think I should look right in it. Right. So, yeah, definitely a, a good callback there. And then, of course, there's the secret. I, I kind of wonder, what was his purpose in saying, you know, you, you got to share the secret with me. Don't tell anybody else. Did he at this point maybe know the worth of this thing? Did he finally get an understanding of what, hmm. of how rare Mithril is and, and what his coat would be valued at? He may have. I mean, I know later on Gandalf says that he never told Bilbo how much it was worth, right? He doesn't. But right, Bilbo has right. been here in Rivendell for a long time. He's He's been reading. He's been learning a yeah. lot. He's not yeah. slow. He no. probably does have some idea of the worth of it now, yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that's why he doesn't want Frodo to tell anybody. I don't know. Maybe he just likes secrets. No, I think you're probably you know? right. I think it, I think he probably just doesn't want anybody to not. But but then again, it's not that he doesn't trust the others. It's not that he's worried somebody's going to steal no. it. Um, so, well, no. So, yeah. Who else can why, wear it? Well, I mean, that's true. Sam, yeah. Mary, and Pippin, I guess. But. So why keep it secret? I don't know. I don't know. I think there's something. He, he likes to have a little bit of a secret. He always that's true, yeah. struck me that way. I mean, you I know part of it was the ring and, and how he wanted to keep the story of its acquisition a secret. Yeah. But, but just, like even keeping a secret at keep his things... birthday party before he disappears, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He, he just does like to have fun with this kind of stuff, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Frodo gets himself ready for adventure. He puts on the mithril coat. He fastens Gordon Sumner to the belt. <laughs> he covers it up with his clothes. Yeah. <laughs> and then Bilbo's observation, which is true on multiple yes, levels. I love, I love this love line. This. Just a plain hobbit you look, but there is more about you now than appears yeah. on the surface. He's not just talking oh, about the gear. So true. No, he's not. He's seeing growth in Frodo. He's seeing, you know, mm-hmm. Frodo just by accepting this quest. Look how far he's already come. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was there when Elrond said, if you do this, you're amongst yes. the elf friends. You're on the first tier yeah. of elf friends. Yeah. yeah. Interesting how this, I don't know, handing down of gear is kind of like a, a little micro level transition of power, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, it's Bilbo saying, it you know, I'm not going to use this stuff anymore, but here, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you do something with it. It's kind of like the, 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 the yeah. tiniest little parallel over, of the elves yeah. handing over Middle Earth to men. Strange as that sounds, but yeah, a little yeah. bit. And, and it certainly cements what we saw in that, that moment, mm-hmm. right? The moment when Bilbo asks to see the ring and Frodo you know, gets that look of disgust on his face as he sees this creature, you know, this groveling creature before him, you know, and, and Bilbo's reaction to that was, you know, almost immediately, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm so sorry, you know, and, and, and don't these adventures ever have an end. And I think this just cements that decision that he made, mm-hmm. you know, that this yeah, has my, my part in the story is over. 
the adventure may continue. The story exactly. may be going on, but my part in it is done. But but yeah. I'm not in it anymore. Yeah. I think this really is Bilbo sort of saying goodbye mm-hmm. to all of that. And But before he does that, he does this, he says this great little thing about hobbits sticking together. Hobbits must stick together and especially Bagginses. Yeah. We just heard that at the beginning of this chapter, didn't that's we? That's right. We did. Well, yeah. Hobbits right. sticking together. Boy, you're right. Yeah. That echoes thing. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's really that fellowship theme and and specifically that hobbit sort of, um, oh, I don't know, that hobbit. Resilience? Comradeship, that uh, um, brotherhood mm-hmm. is okay. what I was looking for, I think. You know, that sort of, that brotherhood of hobbits, you know, that they realize that even amongst the other free peoples, they're sort of looked down upon. They're uh, men and elves and certainly dwarves don't think a whole lot mm-hmm. about hobbits, as Bilbo himself learned 60 years yeah. before. I think I think uh, you're right. I also see a little bit of just the that that resilience. You know, what's the phrase from the prologue? They're dowdy mm-hmm. at bay, and uh, just you know, yes. they they must stick together, and they can stick together. They will stick together mm-hmm. when they need yeah. to. And that's super cool. Absolutely. But he does uh, he does ask a price for the for staying and for the mithril code. It's basically come back, and you're going to be my ghost. Yeah, writer. exactly. <laughs> I'm going to interview you when you yeah. get back and. You're going to tell me everything. That's right. It's a lengthy debrief. You're going to tell me everything. But then he sings a song, and I love this song, and I I wish wish there was more on this. I mean, I guess it's because there's really, it's pretty straightforward. It is what it says it is. Uh, There's not a lot of serious symbolism and depth to it, but it's a great, great song. There's some beautiful imagery in it, and I love the fact that it comes so soon after this idea of Bilbo recognizing that his part in the story is over because that's really what this song is about. Exactly right. This song is all about, um, those last two stanzas are all about about reflecting Mm -hmm. on experience. It's all about thinking of experience and then recognizing that, um, that, you know, your, your part in the story is going to end, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I guess we want to Mm -hmm. go ahead and read some of it. Don't we? I think we should. I'm going to have you read a couple stanzas, then I'll okay. read a couple. For folks who want to hear the whole thing read, I don't know if we did much discussion because we don't do that on Tolkien Reading Days, but uh, I did read this in episode 35 uh, for Tolkien Reading Day, which is about poetry and song in Middle Earth. And I did that little sampler of all the That's different right. races when you did, I, I think, 17 versions of Aaron. Right. <laughs> three. <laughs> there were three. I know. It just felt like 17. Anyway, I'll let you start. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. I'm going to let you go on. I'm going to, shoot, what was that? uh, I'm going to let you finish. There we go. Uh, You did lose me on that one. I'm sorry to say that's that. I'm like, I'm too old for that one. I'm the Danny Glover now. I'm older than you, I know, but I'm, I'm feeling the Danny Glover right now. All right. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer in autumns that there were, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood and every spring there is a different green. And of course, because it is a work, a complete work, we can't read all of the stanzas, so we'll have to skip those last two. Yeah. But I'm glad we got the first four stanzas because they have all this beautiful seasonal yeah. imagery, don't they? Exactly. Well, and then also this time mm-hmm. reference, right? I mean, I think we get the the first two are all about mm-hmm. the past and the second two are all about the yeah, future. Yeah, I mean, 
But yeah, let's talk about well, that, that. They're that, the same. Uh, that, they're that really seasonal, the same because what he's doing season. is mm-hmm. he's kind of reflecting on his life as though it is a passing year. So the summer, you know, the yeah, summer is in the right. past. And, uh, and so mm-hmm. that's where he gets, you know, it's reminiscing on these meadow flowers and butterflies and summers. And then in the second right. stanza, we get that, that autumn has even passed. Autumns that there were. Yeah. And, yeah. and then there's even this, this reference to morning mist and silver sun, which kind of makes you think, you know, autumn has passed and also morning has passed, although it's not quite as explicit. Mm, true. True. That's so, so if he's thinking of summer and autumn now being in the past, you know, this is a, this is a hobbit who's, who's feeling like he's in winter. No, he literally is in winter because yeah, it's December he, when this is taking place. Well, it's December 20 yeah, something when he's But he's also this, in right? the winter of his life. Yeah. And he knows he's not going to see mm-hmm. a spring. He knows his life is drawing yeah. near an end. And that's what the third stanza tells us is that, you know, I'm not going to see this next spring. My life is drawing to its close. Yeah. And there are so many things I've not yeah. seen. Yeah. That, that fourth uh, stanza. So I think of what the world's going to be like. Yeah. That fourth oh, stanza is so, so like, it so is. sorrowful. Yeah. Yeah, just all, just yeah, thinking about so all things. the things that he's not going to experience, that he wants to experience. And yet. Yeah. But, the, but he wouldn't even be capable of experiencing. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. He can't be in every that's wood, true. in that's every true. spring. And I think that's so, why the fifth and sixth stanzas are so hopeful to me. Because the fifth yes, and sixth stanzas, yes. it's not about his own experiences anymore. It's about other people. It's about no, other people long ago right. who saw the things that he never got to see because he wasn't born and people who. Right. And people, the people exactly. in the future. Yeah. yeah. And. But then he wraps it up with the present, doesn't he? In that last stanza, because that's, you know, he's no longer thinking about people in the past who, who saw a world that existed before mm-hmm. he did. He's not thinking about people in the future who are going to see this world that he's never going to know. He's thinking of the people he cares about. He's thinking of his loved ones and he's listening for those returning feet, those voices at the door. That's, that's what mm-hmm. matters to him is these loved ones, these people that he cares about. And I just, man, that moves me. It is. Time. Yeah. That is a, a absolutely. Yeah. Verse. It is. It is moving. And yeah. I, I would add to that. I think, you know, he gets to have a little bit of experience because other people are out there experiencing yeah. and coming back and sharing their stories, which is what he's just asked his right. friends to do. So yeah, yeah. it is moving yeah. because it is. Um, ultimately, it, it changes from being about the importance of the experiences to the importance of those people. And it's just as you right. said. The importance of relationship. Right. I want to raise one question before we yeah. uh, kind of finish this up. And that's, why fire? Why do you think fire is the central image of this poem? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Do you, did you ask me that? I, I, you have, a, have, an answer? I have a thought. I don't. And, and I'm just kind of curious if uh, if you'll agree with this. I think... You know, he starts and ends with the fire because fire is something that can consume, it can destroy, it can, uh, it can mm-hmm. erase, it can erase memories in the sense that it can burn books, right? Or burn diaries, whatever. Well, um, true. And so true. It, it can be this destructive, consumptive thing, but it also can be a warming and comforting thing in the present. And so, right. uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe time is like that a little bit. Time is something that consumes, but time is also... I don't know. I maybe I haven't thought that all the way through yet, but I don't know. I just kind of feel like there's a there's a sense of comfort in the present, even though these yeah. you know these memories are okay. I guess eventually going to be lost, and there's going to be memories in the future that he's never going to have. I don't know. I don't think I'd thought that deeply. I was thinking more about how this all started for him. You know, at the fireside, there's that passage in an unexpected party all the way back in the Hobbit, 
when Bilbo's sitting on a stool at the fireside, mm-hmm. remember, nibbling at a biscuit, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, or later in that chapter when, you know, the fire died down and the, the shadows were lost, but the dwarves were still playing their music. Uh, and so for me, I, I think I was picturing him thinking of, of that moment mm-hmm. and tying it to this moment. You know, Could be. I, I, the fire is kind of where this all Could started. Be. You know, the, the, the home fire. Well, the so fire speak, is where but... this whole ring thing all started too, you know? that's Well, that's true so, yeah. too. And, yeah, and fire is where it's going to end. So there's a cyclical thing with the fire in that sense. Mm. And is Bilbo really thinking about that? Maybe not. But uh, but I love the Maybe idea not. that, you know, fire is fire is something that can destroy, but it, it also can warm. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm having a Babylon 5 moment. How will it end? In fire. In fire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good old Kosh can always count on him. We haven't had a Koshism in a long time. It's been way too long. No, we haven't. It's been like a a couple of years at least. I know. know. Well, he he, his stuff is definitely more relevant to the Silmarillion. So that is true. You know, I think we might probably have um, a Bab Five reference when Gandalf falls in Moria, and we have to reference Sheridan's fall at Zahadum and Lorien and all of that. So, I mean, you can't miss out on that. But no. For now, folks, that does actually wrap up the first part of our discussion on The Ring Goes South. But The Ring hasn't gone anywhere, and we're not done yet. We've got Barnum's bag coming your way in just a minute. And even when that's done, the talk continues all night long at The Prancing Pony. That's right. We've always got lots of discussion happening in our social media spaces. At our common room on Facebook, you'll find comments, questions, corrections, and more on every episode, as well as updates from us throughout the week. Just look for The Prancing Pony Podcast on Facebook, and click the like and follow buttons. Mm-hmm. And now we have another common room on Reddit. You can find great discussions there at r slash prancingponypod. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the handle at prancingponypod. Follow us wherever you might be. And if you like us, share us. Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever you can find Tolkien fans. And if you really want to let the world know your feelings about us, give us a review on iTunes. The more reviews we have, the more visible our podcast is, That helps others find us and this great community of Tolkien fans we built. And finally, if you would like access to exclusive content like postscripts, quarterly specials, PPP swag, and more like listening into an episode while it's being recorded live, as a couple dozen of our listeners are doing right now. There you go. Check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod to find out how you can join the fellowship of the podcast. Now, it's time to see what old Barnum has in the mailbag for us tonight. Sean, what do we got? Oh, we have got some great insights from some of our listeners here today, Alan. And I'm going to start with Jerry in the UK. Jerry wrote to us about that moment between Frodo and Bilbo, which we discussed a couple of times in a couple of different previous Mm -hmm. episodes. Jerry calls it the incident. And I think we all know what he means. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. We did. I'm going to go ahead and read it again. Okay. Bilbo put out his hand, but Frodo quickly drew back the ring. To his distress and amazement, he found that he was no longer looking at Bilbo. A shadow seemed to have fallen between them, and through it he found himself eyeing a little wrinkled creature with a hungry face and bony, groping hands. He felt a desire to strike him. The music and singing round them seemed to falter, and a silence fell. Bilbo looked quickly at Frodo's face and passed his hand across his eyes. Mm-hmm. I understand now, he said. Put it away. I am sorry. Sorry you have come in for this burden. Sorry about everything. Don't adventures ever have an end? Now, Jerry goes on to say, I remain not completely convinced that Bilbo did not also see something odd in Frodo through that shadow which fell between them. Did Frodo appear, perhaps, as a malevolent, covetous creature ready to spring an attack? 
To my mind, this explains more easily Bilbo's I understand now remark. Or perhaps Bilbo also felt an urge to lash out at Frodo and take his precious back. Indeed, I'd be surprised if he did not feel such an urge. Frodo had the ring for a comparatively short time. Bilbo had the ring all of Frodo's life and beyond until he gave it up. Those feelings of ownership would run deep if Gollum is anything to judge by. The feeling of wanting to attack Frodo would be almost inevitable and would certainly have frightened him. Hmm. Some very interesting thoughts, Jerry. I I do remember us talking about this near the end of episode 140. I remember Mm -hmm. us saying Frodo saw Bilbo as kind of like a pre-Gollum through this shadow. like a precursor of foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. And and we talked about it being sort of an aspect of Bilbo that's not on the outside, but that Frodo's able to see. And then I remember when we talked to Corey Olson in episode 142, you know, he pointed out that this entire passage is from Frodo's point of view. We're only seeing what Frodo sees. And all we know that Bilbo sees is the expression on Frodo's face. Right. Now, Bilbo's I understand now comment, now that could be attributed to seeing the expression on Frodo's face. I mean, Bilbo's certainly wise enough to recognize revulsion and aggression and a desire to hit somebody when he sees it. Mm-hmm. Those right. must plainly be written on Frodo's face at this moment. So I think in that sense, Bilbo could understand now because you know, from the look on Frodo's face, he realizes that Frodo is seeing him exactly as Bilbo saw Gollum. I do mm, think that's explanation mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. But did Bilbo also see Frodo as something similar? Did he see him as a covetous, nasty creature at the same time as Frodo saw him that way? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Mm. I, I tend to think yeah. not because if he had, I kind of feel like the conflict would have escalated. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bilbo manages to pull out of it pretty quickly. And that to me seems yeah. like the response of a, you know, an older, wiser and, and loving, well, uncle, father figure, really, you know. Right, right. I, I'm not saying I'm completely convinced Bilbo saw nothing, to use Jerry's phrase, but I think it does fit the evidence. The idea that he he realizes how Frodo sees him and he backs down from this. Right. I, I, I kind of think that comes from him now being on the outside, seeing the ring at work on mm. Frodo rather than right. still being under the spell of the ring himself and seeing a similar vision. But hmm. I don't know. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think Bilbo's near immediate apology, I mean, this expression of his wish that Frodo, you know, not should not have ever had to bear this burden, that reflects what you've mentioned. It's the response of a, a wise and loving father figure, but somebody who understands the pull that the ring has on mm-hmm. someone. He knows from the look on Frodo's face just how strong that pull is, mm-hmm. and he regrets that Frodo even has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I don't I don't tend to think that Bilbo saw the same that necessarily thing as Frodo, that Frodo saw in Bilbo. Yeah, right. I think he just saw that recognition on Frodo's face and realized, man, I used to look at Gollum that way. Right. And wow, you know how what a burden this is. Yeah. I wish he didn't have to deal with it. And he recognizes it so quickly. I think that's why I can say with some confidence that. Uh, that that's the response that he had. Yeah. yeah. You could see this becoming a, a very different exchange if Bilbo saw Frodo the same oh, way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because then it escalates, like you mentioned, the yeah. idea that they each see each other as this evil creature and have a desire to strike. If they both felt that way, I think you might have it might have come to blows. Yeah. A little slap fight from the hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> right there in the in the Hall of Fire. Pulling hair and everything, you know, cat fight. Yeah, I'm not, right. and I'm not saying I'm 100% sure, you know, to Jerry's point. No, 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 but, nothing's uh, 100% sure. But no, I, I, I Jerry think makes good points. He does. He really does. But I, I do think Bilbo's kind of on the outside looking in. He's, like you said, he's kind of remembering, oh, wow, I used to be like that. Yeah. Well, next up, we've got a comment from Ian in New Orleans who wrote in after listening to episode 143. 
and our thoughts on Elrond's words that the council had been called by the providence of Iluvatar's plan. He says, I think Elrond's admonition to the council is a bit more significant than simply calling attention to the fact that this is part of Iluvatar's providential plan. Elrond says, That is the purpose for which you're called hither. Called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and are here met in this very nick of time, by chance as it may seem. Yet it is not so. Believe rather that it is so ordered that we who sit here, and none others, must now find counsel for the peril of the world. So Ian goes on to say, Recall the people who are there and why. Galdor is there on an errand for Círdan. As far as we know, that errand has nothing to do with the ring. Legolas just came to tell Gandalf that Gollum escaped. At the time, he probably doesn't even know why Gandalf wanted Gollum held. Hmm. Boromir came so that he could have a riddle interpreted. Only Glowen came with any purpose somewhat related to the ring, which was basically to ask Elrond's advice about how to respond to the messenger and to warn Bilbo. They all represent great territories, Grey Havens, Mirkwood, Gondor, Erebor, really even Frodo and Bilbo who represent the Shire. So you can imagine that when Elrond says, we are now going to determine the fate of the most powerful weapon in Middle-earth, a decision that will affect whether Sauron conquers all of your kingdoms or not, that they may wish to either not make the decision themselves, seek for further counsel from their rulers, or have their rulers come themselves. And that's assuming they even want to participate in this process. Hmm. Now, this is still Ian, and I'm, I'm getting to the end of it, but I, I just, I, none of this is me. I'm still quoting Ian. Mm-hmm. He says, I think Elrond's comment serves somewhat as a motivating tactic to convince these representatives this is part of the plan. You are here now. This is our opportunity to make a decision involving all of us. It's partially persuasive in that sense, not just giving insight into how he sees providence at work. In other words, and skip a bit, brother, uh, I think Elrond (laughs) is giving the various parties a little nudge here to say, this is what you're here for. Let's not have any argument that we don't have the right to decide this here and now. Wow. That was good stuff, Ian. Really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent thoughts. Uh, And I, I think you're right. I don't disagree at all. Mm-hmm. I think now that I'm reading your your perspective on it, yeah, Elrond is not just saying, hey, guys, Providence, this is Providence at work. He's reminding them that because of that, you all are empowered to make the decision. You are here. You're the ones here. And that's for a reason. So we're the ones who yeah. can deem the do- deem the doom. <laughs> deem the doom that must be deemed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So well said, Ian. Really good stuff. Absolutely. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Now, please be sure to join us again next time when we will journey 45 leagues to Holland in the second part of the Ringo South. Though many long miles further, our feet will have walked and mouths will have talked. (laughs) Quite true. As always, folks, we want to thank each of you listening, but we also want to give a very special thank you to our patrons at the Kierdan's Contribution Tier. Demay in Alaska, James in Virginia, Tamsin in Minnesota, Emily in Texas, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, and Mario in Utah. Thank you all so very much. Thank you so very much. Now, folks, make sure you don't miss a single episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Subscribe to the show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing, as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, and most of all, your most nostalgic poems to Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. Oh, I can't wait to read those. Those are going to be great. Oh, those will be great. I, I agree. Now, Barlaman's not always punctual with the mail, but we'll get back to By not always, we, we mean never. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. never punctual with the mail. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And your question or comment may be featured on an upcoming show or a far distant show. <laughs> One or the other. 
Well, folks, this has been far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends.